0: Why? Life is filled with many, many joys, but also many unexpected turns, trials, disappointments, and heartaches, and we sometimes ask, why? As Christians, we have the hope of Jesus, but the aches of life can push us to ask, why? Why? Hardships sometimes distract us from God's good promises, and we begin to feel as if God is not caring for us. Maybe we don't voice it, but we feel it. Why did that happen? Why is this happening? Why am I going through this? Each of us here today has undergone unexpected turns, trials, disappointments, and heartaches. 2020 has been a tough year. 2021 could be tougher. So, as we begin 2021, I think focusing on the doctrine of God's providence will give us perspective and hope. We are desperate right now for the truth of God's providence. The precious truth of God's providence will not immunize you against life's hardships. But it will help you tremendously. And I want you to leave here today more confident that your heavenly father is working in your circumstances, even the painful ones. Oh, that God would give you the kind of confidence, strength, and joy that Habakkuk had when God's providence was bitter for him. Habakkuk said, Though the fig tree should not blossom... "...nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls." Let me put Habakkuk 3.17 in current terms, "...though the restaurants are not open," Nor the needed beds in the ICU. The economy is ailing and the corruption of government is pervasive. I am cut off from loved ones and my freedoms are endangered. I am emotionally frazzled and my patience is wearing thin and I'm worried about what will unfold in the coming months and years. God's providence is sometimes bitter. But how did Habakkuk respond to God's bitter providence and how should we respond to the same? Habakkuk continued, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Believing in God's providence compels us, brothers and sisters, to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Brothers and sisters, hardships are not evidence that God hates us. They are opportunities to experience more deeply our Heavenly Father's love and provision for us and opportunities to thank our Father for all that He has given us in Christ, whether God's providence is bitter or sweet. We must not forget Psalm 145, verse 17, which says the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. You may be asking why about a lot of things right now. So I simply want to proclaim for you the glorious Providence of God, in order for you to be heartened by it and strengthened to endure adversity with patience and to enjoy blessings with gratitude. My outline is simple the definition of God's providence, the revelation of God's providence, the goodness of God's providence, and the comfort of God's providence. I begin with the definition of God's providence. The word providence describes a massive truth stunningly revealed from Genesis to Revelation. And before I define providence, here's what God's providence isn't. God's providence isn't luck or chance, fate or destiny. No event in history is random or aimless. God is not distant, unconcerned, or uninvolved with what He has made. Nothing surprises God and nothing slips by Him. God is ever directing His creation towards His glorious end. Simply put, providence is God sustaining, preserving, caring for, and governing all that He has made. Let me put flesh on those bones. Article 13 of the Belgic Confession says that God is good and did not abandon creation to chance or fortune, but leads and governs creation according to His holy will in such a way that nothing happens in this world without His orderly arrangement. Westminster Larger Catechism, question 18, similarly states, God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures, ordering them and all their actions to His own glory. So providence is God powerfully and benevolently leading, governing, preserving, and ordering everything to his glory. The Westminster Confession of Faith adds, God, the great creator of all things, does uphold, direct, make willing, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence. And the confession adds that God does this according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and unchangeable counsel of His own will, to the praise of the glory of His wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Brothers and sisters, everything in life is from our Heavenly Father's kind hand meant for our good. Everything. Do you believe it? I'm reading Herman Boving's really good book titled, The wonderful works of God. And Bobink says that providence is an activity by which from moment to moment God keeps the world in existence. Bavink is simply expressing Hebrews 1.3. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. God makes the sun burn and rise upon the earth. God makes the rivers flow. God makes the seasons change. God fills grocery stores. God appoints and deposes political leaders. Whether elections are just or unjust, God opens and closes businesses. God puts the rhythm in your heart and the air in your lungs and stops the beat and empties the air at His appointed time. God is sustaining, leading, guiding, and governing creation unto the achievement of His perfect will and glory by the sheer power of His Word. And if it is not so, our salvation is lost as is all hope and all meaning in this life. And though God is holy and does no evil, nor is He responsible for evil, nevertheless, Evil ultimately works inside of his decretive will for his good purpose. This is the providence of God, and this is our hope. Our beloved Heidelberg Catechism defines God's providence as God's almighty and ever present power, whereby, as with with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed, all things, all things, everything, come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Now, if you believe that, you will see God working when others don't see him. You will find hope when others despair. You will find meaning in suffering when others find only futility. You will find rest when others are restless. You will have comfort when others have apprehension. You will be thankful and joyful in God's goodness when others are thankless, miserable, and skeptical of his goodness. God's providence is the immovable substratum of our comfort and joy. I think Kevin DeYoung is spot on when he says that God's providence is the soundtrack of Scripture. DeYoung says the story of the Old Testament is nothing if not a story of divine providence. On every page, in every promise, behind every prophecy is the sure hand of God. He sustains all things, directs all things, plans all things, ordains all things, superintends all things, works all things after the counsel of His will. That, brothers and sisters, is God's providence. Now we move on to the revelation of God's providence We do not know God's providence until he graciously reveals it to us. Creation displays for us God's existence, eternal power, and divine nature, but creation does not tell us the complete story of God's providence. God expressly reveals his providence to us in the Bible. Now, this point may be a little bit like drinking from a fire hose, All right, and I intend it to be that way. I want you to be inundated with evidence from Scripture so that you are persuaded of God's providence, so that you will grow more confident in God's providence and that you will find more comfort in God's providence, so behold, brothers and sisters, God's glorious providence with me. In Exodus nine thirteen through 16, God's message for Pharaoh through Moses was, I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God's humbling message to Israel in Deuteronomy 8.18 was you shall remember the Lord your God for it is He who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. God says in Deuteronomy 32, verse 39, See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Psalm 33, verse 10 states, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. Proverbs 16 expresses God's providence in in various verses. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. God speaks in Isaiah 45, 6 and 7, I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. God adds in in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. God says in Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 that his word shall not return to him empty, but it shall accomplish that which he purposes and shall succeed in the thing for which he sent it. In Daniel, we perhaps remember this extraordinary experience of Nebuchadnezzar and in Daniel 4.35, Nebuchadnezzar declared, he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Amos 3.6 is shocking, but ever so true. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Matthew 10, 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. In John eleven four, Jesus said about Lazarus' deadly illness, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. It, referring to the illness. Paul writes in Galatians 1, 15 and 16, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Ephesians 1, 11 And 12 emphasizes that God's people have been predestined according to the purpose of God who works all things according to the counsel of His will. In Philippians 1, 12 and 13, Paul said about his hardships. And if you think back on the life of Paul, what a man that suffered. Oh my goodness. And Paul said about his hardships, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Colossians 1.17 and Hebrews 1.3 agree, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Friends, we are only scratching the surface of God's providence revealed in Scripture. Abraham is a marvelous illustration of God's providence. God providentially delivered Abraham from paganism entered into covenant with him and his offspring, gave Abraham and his offspring um, gracious promises and even comforting signs and seals of those gospel promises to fortify his faith and their faith. And when God's gracious promise of offspring seemed absolutely hopeless, God providentially brought children, the child, out of barrenness to fulfill his gospel covenant promises. And Genesis 24 verse 1 says, now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Abraham's life is evidence of God fulfilling his promises by his providence. Consider Job, by by God's providence, Job became very wealthy and loved the Lord, but by God's providence, his life took unexpected turns, painful turns. His, His oxen and donkeys were stolen. His servants were murdered in cold blood. His sheep and other servants were consumed by the fire of God from heaven, his camels were raided and even more of his servants were murdered. A natural disaster killed all of his children. And Job responded, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Job one twenty-two adds, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong." Job was right. The Lord gives. The Lord takes. The Lord does no wrong. Things got worse for Job before they got better, but in the end, the Lord providentially multiplied Job's blessings. And when Job's siblings and and his friends came to him in the end, when things were restored, looking more hopeful, Job is still in pain. They came into his home and they ate with him. And Scripture tells us, They showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil, or we could say disaster or adversity or trouble, that the Lord had brought upon him. God hates evil. God does no evil, yet God is sovereign over evil and ordains it unto his good purpose. One of the most striking revelations of God's providence is the extraordinary life of Joseph. God providentially blessed Joseph with tremendous success, but used tremendous suffering to do it. Joseph's brothers hated him. His brothers eventually sold him into slavery. Not good. And he was taken away very painfully from his family to a foreign land. Sibling rivalries can be extremely painful. This one especially so. As a slave, Joseph rose to prominence in Potiphar's house. But in time, betrayal, a lie, false witness brought Potiphar's contempt upon him and he ended up in prison. Even so, Genesis 39:21 tells us, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. By God's providence, Joseph suffered unjustly in prison for two years, but was was respected in prison, and, and he was given responsibilities there. But after interpreting Pharaoh's dream by the wisdom given him by God, by God's sweet providence, Joseph became the second most powerful ruler in Egypt, second to only Pharaoh himself. From a slave to a sovereign, God then used Joseph to prepare Egypt for famine and to position Egypt to help the neighboring peoples. You you may remember how emotional the story becomes, the the emotion of the story. And when Joseph's brothers came to Egypt and realized their brother was second only to Pharaoh, Joseph told them, And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. They sold him into slavery, they did evil. But Joseph added, For God sent me before you to preserve life. That's God's providence in evil. Joseph added, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors so it was not you who sent me here but God. A few chapters later, one of the most compelling revelations of God's providence is given. Joseph tells his brother in Genesis 50 verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me. But... God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Understand, brothers and sisters, God ordered and meant betrayal, slavery, separation, treachery, imprisonment, suffering, wisdom, power, and success, not only for Joseph's good, but for Joseph's wicked brother's good and many other people's good. God was sovereignly working in Joseph's suffering and success to achieve his glorious and gracious plan of salvation, the one promise to Adam and Eve in paradise. Joseph, you see, brothers and sisters, is a type of Christ. A type of Christ. A shadow of Christ's suffering, Christ's success, Christ's salvation, which alone he achieves for the good of all his people. God's providence, his divine providence, is obvious in the Exodus events. Consider Naomi and Ruth. Naomi's husband and two sons died. That's not good. That's not easy. That's really hard to swallow. That's extremely painful. To make matters worse, Naomi had no posterity. When Naomi and Ruth went to Bethlehem, Naomi told the townspeople, and this is really dark... Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For, so here's the reason uh, for the name change. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. But, It was out of this providential pain that God brought providential blessing. Boaz married Ruth. Ruth conceived and Naomi was not left without a redeemer. A redeemer who foreshadowed the redeemer. Naomi took the providential child in her arms. Laid the providential child on her lap. And was his nurse. By God's providence, the blessed Son was Obed, whose son was Jesse, whose son was David, whose son was the blessed Christ and great Redeemer. We see God's providence in the apostles Paul, the Apostle Paul's life. Paul lived a difficult life. What a joyful life. And all throughout, through painstaking work, imprisonments, beatings, near-death experiences, stonings, shipwrecks, journeys, diverse dangers, sleepless nights, times without food, inclement weather, through it all, we see God's providence sustaining and guiding Paul to proclaim the gospel to the nations. God sent Paul, set Paul rather, apart before he was born and called him by grace to countless hardships in order to take salvation to the world. It was this man who suffered so much, this apostle, this one called by Christ, the one who suffered so many different things, who wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who loved me, who loved me and gave Himself for me. And then we have the life of Christ. Oh, how He trusted the providence of His Father in suffering. Christ's life on earth. Could we just define it as suffering? From start to finish, suffering Which God providentially brought to him, and yet his eyes were set on his heavenly Father's will and the joy that was set before him. Jesus said in John 6 38, For I have come down from heaven. That's suffering in itself, not to do my own will but to do the will of Him who sent me. And saints, the Father's will for Christ included the anguish and triumph of the cross. Scripture tells us that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, and yet He was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Scripture tells us that Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the peoples of Israel gathered together against Jesus. And yet it also says that they gathered together to do whatever the hand and plan of the sovereign Lord had predestined to take place. By providence, God sent His one and only Son to become sin on the cross for His people and to to carry their burdens, to bear the weight and, and, and wrath of God, to rescue them from their sin and misery, bringing salvation through His precious blood. By providence, God raised Jesus from the grave in glorious triumph over death. Dear friends, God has revealed His providence to us in stunning beauty throughout redemption. The redemption story. Through redemptive history, God's powerful upholding, sustaining, preserving, governing, leading, ordering, directing, superintending and caring for heaven and earth and all creatures is unmistakable in Scripture and even in our lives. And though it may feel at times as if God is standoffish and uninvolved, dear saints, dear beloved of Christ, he is always concerned, he is always involved working the events of history and the events of our lives for his glorious purpose, which is our greatest good. Do you believe that? Do you find comfort in your Father's sovereign care of you? God's providence is a marvelous and comforting doctrine, but not an easy doctrine. Because it doesn't immunize us from pain, from deep pain, but it does give us hope in the pain. It does give us confidence in the pain that our loving Father He loves us so much and he is always working for our good. COVID-19, and the associated isolation, lockdowns, orders, and masks, a controversial election, racial tension, riots, looting, violence, an unprecedented breach of the Capitol building and its associated deaths and controversy, struggling businesses, closures, and economic losses, uh, canceled school events and programs, and Athletics, rapid changes to education, loss of loved ones, stressful marriages and parenting, modified holiday traditions, and on and on and on. And you and I may be wondering why? Why? These frustrations and griefs might be distracting you and me from God's good and certain promises and blessings. With all that's going on in the world, we may be forgetting that God is providentially upholding, sustaining, preserving, governing, leading, ordering, directing, superintending, and caring for heaven and earth and all creatures, and He is doing this for your good, and He is doing this for my good. Our good, brothers and sisters. Do you believe that God decrees pleasure and pain Gratification and grief, lucre and loss, for his glory and your good. Does God's providence hearten you? True faith is confidence in God's providence. This brings us to the goodness of God's providence. And I hope that you know the goodness of God's providence without me having to explain it. It is a comforting truth. Psalm 145, 17 is true, brothers and sisters. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. He is righteous and kind in bringing tragedy and righteous and kind in bringing ecstasy. The refrain of multiple psalms is, "Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever." And those lyrics, they were relevant for Israel in prosperity and relevant for Israel in adversity. True faith is confidence that God is being righteous and kind to his people when their world falls apart and when they are on top of the world. Kevin DeYoung is profound when he says he does not merely turn hard situations for our good, he ordains hard situations for our good. He does not merely turn hard situations for our good, he ordains hard situations for our good, and if that unsettles you, if that makes you uncomfortable, simply consider Christ. The life, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and glorification of Jesus Christ. God ordained horrific things for Christ, His one and only Son, unto His and our triumph and eternal glory. Saints, in our flesh, our sinful flesh, we are inclined to despise the providence of God. Human nature revels in delusional independence. Instead of resting in God's providence, being thankful in God's providence, praising and worshiping God in His providence, human nature pushes us to be frustrated and angry, to grumble and complain against God's providence, and to ultimately resent God. This is not how the Lord Jesus Christ responded to God's providence. Christ always glorified God, even in the most painful parts of His life and death. We need our Father's grace and spirit to receive this doctrine by faith and to find comfort and joy in it. We need His grace. We need His Spirit. We must be humble and meek, confessing that we are not self-determined or independent, but instead we are God-determined and dependent. The doctrine of God's providence is meant to drive us to Christ in true faith, trusting our Father's good will for us, and depending every day on his grace and spirit. Saints, I, I want you to consider this point. Many people reject the gospel. Just walk away from God. I have no interest in those things because they credit themselves for the good things and they resent God for the bad things. They do not see God's goodness in pleasure and pain. They can't because they do not know or trust God as their father. They do not know that God is a good father and all his ways are righteous and kind. They can't see it. And so they allow their circumstances instead of God's promises to determine their unbelief towards God's providence. But everyone, everyone who trusts Christ sees in their pleasure and in their pain the love of their Heavenly Father, working for their good. God's providence is the lens through which they look to behold God's goodness, their Father's goodness in all of their life. Lastly, the comfort of God's providence. Herman Bovink wrote, the confession of the ever-wise counsel of God is a source of rich comfort. Thus we come to know that it is no blind chance, dark destiny, no unreasonable or malign will, nor any undetectable natural force which governs mankind and the world, but that the government, governance of all things rests in the hands of an almighty God and a merciful God. Father, a merciful Father, it is our merciful Father who holds the world in his hands. It is our merciful Father who is governing all things with sovereignty. Oh, that we would know that he is good as he governs. May he grant us his grace and his spirit through faith to repent of our ingratitude, to repent of our irritability, to repent of our grumbling and complaining, and to walk in obedience with visible and audible thankfulness. Saints, the overwhelming testimony of Scripture is this. God works all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And brothers and sisters, we love him. We love him. And he loves us. And so his promise to us is that he is working everything out for our salvation. COVID, closures, cancellations, collapse, corruption, cancer, conflict, and any other calamity. Our father is working for our good. It's His promise. In our weakness, we sometimes ask, why? Why? And sometimes we doubt God's providence. We get scared. We get angry. Bad things happen to us, and we sink into despair. We are tempted to trust in some political savior or revolutionary, to turn to some vaccinations or a a new law or our own grit and determination or perhaps our changing circumstances. And so it is imperative, brothers and sisters, that we look away from ourselves to Christ in true faith, believing that we belong to him, that he loves us, trusting that he is at work in our lives That he is doing what is wise, that he is caring for us in his sovereignty, in his providence, body and soul. Believing the doctrine of God's providence frees you to be patient in adversity. And to suffer with joy, faith in Christ frees you, it liberates you to be thankful in prosperity, realizing that every single thing that you enjoy is given you by your heavenly Father and you can be happy and oh so joyful in God's kindness and goodness to you. This transforms the way you see everything in life. Your pleasures and pains are not random and they are not aimless. They are evidences of your father upholding you and caring for you in the journey. And if you fear, like sometimes I do, if you fear what God's providence may bring you, what's on the horizon, what's in the future, just remember the comfort of Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress Or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, nothing in all creation, nothing in all creation, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, hardships will come. They will come but they will not separate us from the love of our Lord Jesus Christ who loves us with an unchanging and eternal love. We belong to him, brothers and sisters. He purchased us with his blood. He wants us to belong to him and so he will then take care of us in all things. All of us have been tremendously blessed. Blessed. And if you believe what I'm preaching, not only will you be stronger and more faithful in adversity, but you will see and experience the goodness of God in new ways, in prosperity, in the the blessings of this life which God gives you. I was so struck this week with what Kevin DeYoung wrote. I'm going to quote him a lot here at the end, but it's because he's spot on and absolutely excellent and, and talking my language. And I think talking yours too. And so I was struck by this. And this is what Kevin wrote. He said, if you have a job, it's from God. If you have a family, they're from God. If you have a good church, that's from God. If your life is made better because of cats or dogs, or pizza, or popcorn, or ice cream, or another birthday, or new clothes, or new friends, or new health, or a new baby, then give praise to God for he gave them to you. He's better than Amazon. He gives you packages of new mercy every morning and the shipping is free. Brothers and sisters, every delight in this life is a gift of your Father who delights in giving you good things. He wants to give you good things. He does give you good things, the best of things. Be thankful. Be thankful. Enjoy his gifts. I'll end with this quote from... Kevin DeYoung, I I share it with you because he addresses what I've often feared. He, He puts to paper, on the paper, what has gone on in my heart for a very long time. And I think this is gonna profit you. So DeYoung writes this. Don't be afraid of the future. Don't be anxious about trials. And don't be nervous about blessings either, as if God will eventually wake up, realize you've been drinking spiritual Mountain Dew your whole life, and start giving you spiritually broccoli to eat. Don't worry that He'll start balancing the scales to give you a little more suffering. There is no balancing of the scales with God. That's the thing about providence. Our Heavenly Father is always for us. He doesn't make you pay for the fun stuff in your life with more and more pain. He's only interested in your good, always interested in your good. He doesn't vacillate between loving you and loathing you. His affections are set upon you. And His providence is fixed upon your spiritual well-being in Christ. That's the story of the Old Testament and your story too, no matter what your chapter is like and how you would have written it differently, our God plans our way and gets his way and his ways are always good.